Alrighty. Well, we are uh, just almost done with um, the book of First Peter. We've got a few more weeks, and tonight we start chapter 5, which is the last chapter. And here's some of the things that we've discussed over the last several weeks. We've, and this is, I mean, what, what Peter's whole letter kind of covers, some, some of the things. Peter opens the letter, writing it to elect exiles. And that word exile is throughout the letter, and that word has the connotations that life is going to be hard, that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to be filled with suffering, that it's, that because this world isn't our home. We're, if you're a Christian, you're in exile, passing through this world onto another world, eventually, uh, with, with Jesus forever. And so he talks about that we're exiles, talks about suffering in life, whether that's from injustices that are done against you, or from persecution, or just general life hardship, gen- various trials, he, he uses the word. So he talks about suffering, he says we're exiles, he talks about persecution, he talks about all the different kind of roles we have in life, whether that's in marriage, or in our jobs, or in the government, all these different things of life, okay? And the question is then, how does God care for us in the middle of all these different areas of what it means to walk with Jesus? How does God care for us in the middle of those things? How does God lead us? How does he teach us? How does he walk with us? How does God care for us in the middle of all the stuff that Peter has talked about? How does he intend to be with us, to lead us, to walk with us. And that's what we're talking about tonight. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And um, as we do that, what I want you to think about is what do you think of when you think of church? When you think of church, what comes to your mind? And one of the things that we talk about a lot is community. And the church is a people. And this is something that Peter has talked about throughout his letter, that that the church is a community of people. And we talked about this a, a, a few weeks ago, that um, a community of love is not one just in which everyone's really nice to each other, although that is nice. It's not just one in which everybody's friendly and, and all of that, although that's good, but it's one, a true community of love is one that's built on forgiveness and built on repentance, where we are able to walk openly with our sin and see Jesus forgive us and forgive one another. And we have a love, Peter says, that covers a multitude of sin. So community is really important and we're big on community. We hope, uh, I mean, that's part of why we started a church. Um, One of the big things we hope is that people really experience true community. And yet that's not all that the church is. One of the images that the Bible uses and that Peter talks about tonight for the church is that it's God's flock. And that's weird for us because we're not an agrarian culture or society. I don't know if anyone in here is or knows a shepherd. I've never met a shepherd. Um, I've petted some sheep before at a petting zoo, but that's about the closest experience I have with sheep or shepherds. Um, But one of the images that the Bible uses often is that we as a church are God's flock, so that he's the shepherd and that we're sheep. And just like a shepherd takes care of his sheep, all the different things that God intends for us to feed us spiritually, to protect us, to provide for us, to lead us, to guide us, to provide rest for us, to provide water and food and sustenance and protection from wolves and other types of things that would harm the sheep. This is one of the images that the Bible uses for the church is that it's God's flock. 
something Jesus talks about, something all th- really all throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the ways that God does this, one of the ways that he cares for his flock, one of the ways that he shepherds his flock is by assigning other shepherds to take care of his flock. And this is really what this text is about tonight. And so we'll read the, the whole thing here, and then we will look at what, um, what this has to say to us as a church. So here's, what, uh, here's the question we're asking. What are the means of God's care for us? Sorry, I kind of messed up on that. Um, that God intends to care for us in the middle of everything that Peter is talked about. And what are the means? What does he use? And it's shepherds. And so let's look at what Peter says here. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. So Peter is saying, I'm talking now. This letter is written to the whole church and all these different Christians scattered throughout. And he says, now I'm talking to the elders. That's the pastors among you as a fellow elder. So Peter says, I'm an elder also. I'm a pastor also and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he's also an apostle, one that saw everything that happened with Jesus and was in his inner circle, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. There he's just saying he's a Christian, just like everybody else. And here's what he says, I I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're talking about here, what, what is the means of God's care for his church? How does he do it? How does God care for his church? What is the way that he cares for his church? And and what what Peter says to us here is that, again, one of the things that we're huge on as a church is community. And yet, we need more, Peter says, than just friends. We need more than just other sheep. We need more than just that, though that's a huge piece of it. We also need, Peter says, shepherds. And that one of the ways that God cares for us is through each other, but one of the ways that God cares for us, one of the means of God's care for the church, for the flock, is shepherds, leaders. And this is obvious um, to some extent, right? You've probably never been to it. You're probably not surprised that there's somebody standing up here today. You've probably never been to a church and said, well, there's a pastor there? That's, that's weird. Uh, that's, that's obvious at one level. And yet at another level, if we're honest, and, and I've been in the exact same place, we have a distrust or even a dislike of leadership, of authority at many levels. And this depends on who you are and how you grew up and all these different factors, right? But we often have a distrust of leadership or authority. This could be in the government, it can be um, at work, it can be in the home, and it can be in the church as well. And so oftentimes, even hearing something like what Peter says, there's an immediate kind of resistance of, well, I I don't really need that. I'm good. I mean, I I want God to take care of me, and I I want God to to be with me, and all the different things that Peter talked about, suffering, and injustice, and persecution, and, and all of that stuff, and spiritual growth. I want that. I want God to do that in my life, but 
I don't really want any sort of shepherd in my life. Or maybe it's even said with a little bit more spiritual language, if you're inside the church, it can be, well, Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus is my pastor. I, I, just, it's just, I just need me and Jesus. And there's a part of that that's true. One of the amazing things that Peter says here that is um, very, very different from how the Old Testament was before Jesus came is Peter says, and we talked about this several weeks ago, Peter says that all Christians are priests. That's if you grew up in a Catholic context or even if you just have some of those ideas, that's a very odd thing to say, that all Christians are priests which means they have a special access to God, a direct access to God, that they serve God in a special way. But he also then says Jesus is the chief shepherd, which means, man, Jesus is the senior pastor. Jesus is the one that leads the church. He's the one that's over the church. But those aren't the only two realities. He then also says, and I write to the elders to exercise oversight, to shepherd the flock. And so there's kind of this, this dual tension I think we feel that in one sense it's obvious, oh yeah, of course, there's supposed to be pastors and churches and all that kind of stuff. And yet at another level, there's a sense in which, mm, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want a shepherd. I don't know if I want that to be what church is. But Peter says that we need more than just fellow sheep. We need more than just friends. We need more than just community that God also intends to care for us through shepherds. Now, here's why. Because it's God's flock, and God cares for it. See, as a shepherd, God cares for his sheep. He loves them. They belong to him. He wants to bless them. He wants to know them and have them experience being known. God cares for his sheep very, very deeply. He cares for his flock very, very deeply, and he wants to bless them and care for them and have them experience that. And his plan to do that, that Peter shows us here, and I'm not saying the totality of the plan, and we've talked about other things throughout the letter, but part of his plan to do that, to care for his sheep, is to say, I give them shepherds. I love my sheep so deeply that I want them to have a shepherd. This is this is good news. And um, one of the sad things for me as a pastor is I know and I see that many people disregard that. Many people see God's plan to say, I want to care for my sheep through shepherds. And many people just disregard that. And in so doing, miss out on a lot of what God would intend. A lot of how God would want to bless their life and care for their life and lead their life and protect them. All the things that a shepherd does. All the different things that God intends to be in your life won't be there if there's a posture that says, you know what, I don't want any sort of shepherding in my life. Something Something to think about. So this is what Peter shows us tonight. He shows us the means of God's care. He'll show us the response that we're supposed to have to that care. And then what really gets in the way of it? What ruins it? What can stop this from happening? Okay, so here's the overarching picture. God loves his church. He loves it. 
He calls it his flock and he cares for it deeply. And he wants us to experience his care in the middle of our lives. And the main way that he does that for his flock is to provide shepherds for the flock, pastors for the flock. So who are these people and what do they do? This is what we'll look at. What, what does a shepherd do? What does a shepherd do? If the means of God's care is providing shepherds, what are these leaders supposed to do? And Peter, this is, this is not the total teaching that the Bible has on this. The Bible's filled with teaching on this, actually. It's filled with it. There's uh, three different books in the Bible specifically dedicated to writing to what shepherds are supposed to do in the church. But what does a shepherd do? Peter summarizes it with that word, instead of using it as a noun, as a verb, and says, I write to the elders that you are supposed to shepherd, and that's where the word pastor comes from, by the way, uh, but that they are to shepherd the church. So Peter says, here's, here's, your, here's what you're supposed to do. Elders, pastors, shepherd the church. And then he explains what that means using the word exercise oversight of the church. That you're to exercise oversight. Shepherd the church, exercising oversight. And here's what this means. I mean, just the word oversight means to see over, to oversee, to see everything. And that's kind of at, a, at an organizational level. If you think of a shepherd, a literal shepherd that would have sheep, they would have to oversee that flock, meaning they don't just walk around individually to each sheep and feed them, but they make sure as a whole that the sheep are fed. They don't just go to each sheep and uh, give them a, a bottle of water. I don't know how sheep drink. Um, isn't that how you give sheep water? Um, but they would make sure organizationally that there's a place that the, shep- that the sheep are drinking from. They don't necessarily walk around with each sheep as a bodyguard, but they make sure as a whole that the flock is protected with a fence and, and machine guns or whatever else you need to protect sheep, right? Um, maybe not machine gun part, but the other part, right? So that's the exercising oversight to see over the flock means both at the kind of the whole level and at the individual level to to care for each individual sheep and to care for the whole flock. That's what it means to oversee, to see over. And, and, and some, when I read that, I think, man, that's, that's nice. And yet also a lot of, we don't, we don't want that in a lot of ways, right? I mean, we want privacy. That's the exact opposite of someone to see over us and to oversee us. So wait, is this telling pastors to be like the NSA and to monitor all emails and all activity? Is that what that's saying? I hope not. Because um, I don't want to read everyone's emails. That would take a lot. I've got to read all mine. But we have a resistance even to that idea of what the main job description of a shepherd is, which is to see over. But here's why I think it's good news. Here's why I think it's really good news is because just a few chapters earlier, here's what Peter says about Jesus. He uses the same word. And he says that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So he gives pastors the same job description of their work as what he says Jesus does. And so here's what this means. It means that God cares deeply about your soul. It means God wants to see all of your life, every part of it. 
and care. For, he wants to shepherd and see your soul. And part of how he does that, part of the means of his care, is to provide shepherds that do that work with him. I just tripped there. <clears throat> so this is what shepherds do. They are to exercise oversight. They are to take care of both the flock and the individual sheep. And, and I think this is good news because it's saying, shepherds, you have the same job of what Jesus does. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the one that sees over your soul, Peter says, and then he calls pastors to do the same thing, to participate with God in that work. So this is what shepherds are supposed to do. Now let me just say this, okay? Because I know that maybe for some of you right now, you're just totally tuned out. Like, this is a sermon that's just absolute garbage to you. Okay, so you're telling me that um, you're supposed to oversee my soul and that uh, I'm supposed to have a leader and none of that stuff sounds good. Maybe you even, maybe that's even kind of, I don't know. I know, I mean, in our church, um, as a new church, that a lot of people are here that didn't grow up in church or kind of are coming back to church after a long time away. And that might be the exact thing that you kind of wanted to get away from. A, uh, maybe you were a part of a church where there was leaders and spiritual leaders that were all up in everybody's business and demanding things and controlling everything. Maybe you came from an environment where um, every single rule was laid out. There can be all sorts of hurts and all sorts of baggage and all sorts of resistance to any type of leadership. I know that. And I know there can be a extreme distrust of any type of authority. And here's what the Bible says. That's a valid concern. The Bible says that's a very valid concern. All throughout the Bible, it does not just say that there should be leaders. It does not just say there should be pastors. It does not just say there should be spiritual authority, but that there should be a certain kind of it, a right kind of it. So, I know, okay, I know that for some of you, maybe all of you, but I know for some of you that even hearing things about this can immediately just create walls and barriers because of your background or because of even just theoretical understanding of of how leaders can go astray. And all of it, all of it has to do with a mistrust of leaders that is well validated maybe in your personal experience, but also just by what the Bible says. Which is why it's not just any kind of leader. It's not just any kind of shepherd, but the right kind. The right kind. And the Bible goes to great lengths to describe that. And this is what Peter does himself as he, as he talks about that. So Peter says, it is not just that there needs to be leaders, but a certain kind of leaders, a certain kind of shepherds. Now, this is what we're going to talk about. And there's more in the Bible about this than just what Peter says here. But Peter gives a nice overview. And Peter's going to say, what are these shepherds supposed to be like? These leaders that God puts in the church, what are they supposed to be like? These ones that God entrusts with caring for souls in his flock, what are they supposed to be like? 
What are they supposed to be like? Peter's, Peter's gonna, he's going to explain to us. And while this isn't comprehensive, it is, it's helpful. And um, this is a little weird. This is kind of a little bit of a weird sermon for me because I'm kind of giving you my job description and talking about myself in the third person a little bit here. So I know it's a little weird, but I think it's really important. And obviously Peter does too. See, Peter writes this letter again to the whole church. He doesn't just write it. He could have just, you know, torn out this section and given it to the pastors and maybe would have never seen it. But he writes it to the whole church. And I think it's important for the whole church to know, just like Peter did, the things that he says of what these qualities that a shepherd is supposed to have are. Peter tells us what the shepherd is supposed to be like. And I think it's important, even though you're not shepherds, I think it's important for everybody to know what Peter says because of at least a few reasons, okay? So before, we, before I tell you what Peter says, let me give you a few reasons why I think it's important for us to know these. The first is this. I'm not intending to, but if I ever go crazy, it's good for you to know, well, wait a minute. Peter says that's not how you're supposed to be. Um, that's not good, right? And, and what Peter describes, it's not that pastors are supposed to be perfect, but the general flow, the general pattern of their life should match what Peter is saying should match what the rest of the Bible teaches about the qualifications of these shepherds. So that's the first reason everybody should know it. And I think partially that's probably why Peter wrote it to everybody is to say, hey, this is, this is what it's supposed to be like. Is that what you see? That's what it's supposed to be. So that's one reason I think it's important for us to see these qualities. Second reason is this, your future. Now, I, I know that not everybody in this room will be a part of this church forever. I hope you are. I hope you all die here. I hope not. I mean, <laughs> that's gruesome, right? Not here. I don't mean like here. I mean, I hope that everybody is here, myself included, for the rest of our lives forever and then eventually die. That's what I mean, okay? Um, wow, this is good, right? The pastor just told us he hopes we all die. Merry Christmas. Um, so I hope you're here forever, okay? However long you should live. But I know that's not the case for everybody for various reasons. And it's really important that when you go and look for another church at some point, that you look for a church that doesn't just have a pastor, that isn't just a church, but is a good church and has a good pastor. And here's the thing. This is just the truth. There are churches that are not good churches. There are pastors that are not good pastors, that should not be pastors, churches that should not be in existence. That's just the reality. The Bible says the very same thing. Jesus describes some churches that should have their candle blown out, he says. So there's churches that shouldn't exist and pastors that shouldn't be pastors. And you have to know that that's a reality. And oftentimes when we look for churches, when we search for churches, we look for churches that have great music, that the pastor's a great communicator, that the people are friendly, and those things are great. I mean, great music, good communicator, friendly people, that's good. But that's not everything, and it's not even the main thing. I mean, what what the Bible says is that we should look for pastors of a certain character, and throughout the Bible, the the church should have certain beliefs. And so I just want to point this out, that I know you won't necessarily be here forever, and when you move on, When you look for another church, why are you looking at the church you're looking at? Is it 
because of just preferences and what feels good and, and it's cool? Or is it, I know that person's character or because they're associated with a certain um, denomination or network, I trust their character judgment of this person and because of the beliefs of the church, is that your guiding framework or is it just, oh man, they're so friendly. Well, a lot of cults and a lot of wackos are friendly. Oh, he's a good communicator. So is the devil. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, don't let that be the final judgment or even the first judgment. So that's something I I give to you to think about. And third, the reason I think it's important to look at these qualities is because it's good for you to know that our church will have a process for developing people that will become pastors. Um, The Bible teaches that a church is not supposed to be led by one pastor. Okay, it's supposed to be led by a team of pastors. That's something that takes time. That's something that, that in specifically in a context like ours, a church planting context, which means we started this church a year ago, takes time to develop. It's not something that happens overnight, and there's a process. Sometimes the tendency can be, well, we want to have a bunch of people, so let's get all these pastors in place, and there we go. But it's something that is a process. It's something that takes time. Something that takes time, and you should know that in our church, for all leaders, for all leaders in general, but specifically for pastors, we will have a process. And this is something that the Bible takes very seriously. Um, It's something that takes time. And it's why right now, as we work towards that, is that a goal that we move towards? It's why right now we have an outside finance board. It's why we have other relationships within the networks of church, the three different networks of churches that we're a part of where there's coaching and help with decision making and all these kind of different functions that help to lead the church. Because it takes time to make sure that the right people are put in place as pastors in God's church. Um, it's why right now, just so you know, uh, the, the members of the church know this, but it's why right now we're looking to hire Um, somebody else to help be a shepherd in the church, somebody seasoned, somebody that's been tested and proven as a pastor. But all of that takes time. All that, I mean, for me, like I want that a year ago, okay? But it's like getting married. It takes time. It's not, you don't just go, hey, you're breathing. Why don't you marry me, right? Maybe, Maybe that's what you do, but I mean, it's something that takes time. You say, this is something really important, and and the more important it is, the more time it often takes, right? I mean, the more important getting a person to commit to you is, whether that's marriage or dating or babysitting, the more important it is, the longer time period that that takes. So in our church, this is something we're working on. Most people say it takes about three to five years before a, a new church is able to have kind of a team of pastors that are there, if they don't already start with them, because it's something that God takes very seriously. Something God takes very seriously. Oftentimes what would happen if you read in some of Paul's letters in the New Testament is that Paul or another apostle would go into a town and they'd preach and then people would become Christians and they'd form them into a church and then they would test and train and teach other men and over time appoint 
elders in that local church. And that's the same thing we'll do. It's the same thing, by the way, that, that I went through. It's the same thing that I went through. I mean, I went through a process to become a pastor, and then that church, with their blessings, sent us out here to come start this church. And even after moving out here and selling most everything we had, my wife and I, I told my wife, because we were going to join a part of another network of churches so that there's accountability and, and uh, cooperation and relationship and all of these different things called Acts 29. Um, I, after moving out here, after already having been a pastor, I told my wife, hey, if, if when they assess us and they go through the process with us, they tell us no, then we're not going to do it. I don't, now, I don't know what we would have done. I mean, I guess I would have worked at Burger King or moved back. I don't know what we would have done. But said, hey, if they say no, we're not going to do it because it's something that God takes really seriously. And it's not something anybody should just say, oh, I'm going to do that. I just kind of, you know, ordained myself and here we go. It's not something that should work that way. It's something that God cares for his flock and so cares very deeply that there's a process that people go through, something slow, something that, something that needs to be taken very seriously, something that takes time. And it's not just, sometimes what churches do is it's just the people that have been around the longest. Say, oh, you've been around a long time. How about you become a pastor? Or, hey, you've been around uh, a while and you seem like you've got a nice family and stuff. Why don't, why don't you, or, or, hey, you're old. Or, hey, um, you went to school. Or, hey, I mean, it can be any sort of things that qualify somebody sometimes within a church. But what Peter says is it's not those things, but it's someone that God has specifically called and gifted and that has a certain character. Not somebody that just loves, I mean, I, I even tell guys this sometimes, that people that say, man, I, I want to be a pastor because I love, I love the Bible so much. That's not a reason to be a pastor. I love to teach so much. and That's not a reason to be a pastor. Do you love people? Do you love God? And th- those are the reasons that, that God, those are, those are the people that God puts in place. So, there's a process. I want, you, I want you to know for our church, for some of you, maybe that was boring because you don't care, but for others of you, it's important you know there's a process for our church to have the kind of men that Peter is talking about here. And finally, I think it's important to know the qualifications because of this. Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Peter says Jesus is the chief shepherd. It means he's the, the main guy. It means I work for him it means he's the main pastor. That's what that means. Jesus is the chief shepherd. It means he's the main pastor. If I could, if he would allow, I would sit down and have him come up and preach. Um, and you would probably be very blessed by that. <laughs> Me too. Um, but Peter says Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so here's what this means when we look at the qualifications that Peter lists out for what a shepherd is like. It means that all of those ultimately are just a reflection of Jesus. It means when, you, when Peter says Jesus is the, the main pastor and here's what these pastors are supposed to be like, that means that's really what Jesus is like. It means that those are all just kind of mere images of what Jesus is, of who he is, of what he's like, of how he works, of how he thinks of his people. And so when we look at the qualifications of, or the, the characteristics of what a pastor is like, 
What you need to see is ultimately, those are things that Jesus as the main pastor is like. Which means anything good you see in a pastor, you should say, ah, I actually am seeing Jesus there. I'm, I'm seeing that's what Jesus is like. So, let's look what Peter says. <clears throat> what, are the, what is a shepherd like? The first thing that Peter says is that they are to be willing. They're to be willing. He says it's not something that they're supposed to do under compulsion. And here's what he's talking about. Some pastors might say, I'm doing this job because I have to. And that might be because someone told them to do it or they feel forced to do it. Or it can just be simply this, that it feels like a burden to them. So some pastors could be saying, I do this job, but Oh, and especially, I mean, you read Peter's letter. I mean, I, no offense to those people, but I'm glad I'm not their pastor. I mean, they're going through, hor- I mean, a lot of hard, horrible things. People killing them left and right. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's hard. But what that could then create in a pastor is to just kind of, well, just kind of trudging through this. And it just kind of is lame. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Do it willingly. Are you passionate about shepherding the flock? Or is it something you just are doing because you feel the burden to do it? And here's here's why this matters. This matters that a shepherd is willing because, remember, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And do you know that God is not burdened by you in any way? I mean, that's something you need to know. In the worst of your life, sometimes I talk with people that are suffering and they say things like, man, I think God doesn't necessarily want to hear from me on this or he's too busy for this or I don't want to bring this to him. We can have this feeling sometimes that God is burdened by us. Whether it's our suffering or even our sin, that God's burdened by us, that he's kind of, all right, I'll listen to your prayers. Maybe burdened or reluctant. I guess I'll love you. I guess I'll listen to you. I guess I'll die for you. That God has this reluctance or this burden, but Peter says pastors are supposed to be people that are not under compulsion in any way in their shepherding of the flock. Why? Because Jesus is the chief shepherd. And Jesus' heart towards you and I is one of willingness, passionate willingness, he says, you're my sheep. I want to care for you. But God, it might be too much trouble. No, I, wa- I want to. I want to be in your life. I, wa- I want to. So that's the first thing. Pastors are supposed to be willing. Second thing is they're supposed to be an example. Peter says that they are to, so here, here's, here's what he says. They, they are to be an example instead of domineering. And here's what this means. Any leader has authority and power. That's just the reality. Any leader has authority and power. Jesus has authority and power. Now, many leaders use their authority and power to be served, to serve themselves. I mean, this is sometimes why people want to be leaders, is because then I can be served. Then I can have power that glorifies myself. Jesus had all authority and all power And in one instance, what we see is that Jesus says, I am your Lord, 
I am your master and I wash your feet. I serve you. I use my power and I use my authority to serve you. Now that's amazing, right? See, Jesus wants the people that he puts in power and authority to use that not to be served, but like he does, to serve. And then the third thing is this. He says they must be eager. And relates that, he compares eagerness with a desire for shameful gain. And here's what this is saying. A pastor can be one that's in it to get, to gain. And that could be anything. It could be, it could be I'm in it to gain people liking me. That's one I see often. I'm in it so that people like me. I want people to like me. I want people to think well of me. I want people to respect me. I want people to to know my name. Some pastors are in it to get money, to get success, to get status. That they can be in it to get. That's the general kind of flow of their thinking and mentality is I do this and I will get what does Jesus do as the shepherd? He uses his authority as a pastor, as the chief shepherd to give. And that's what's amazing is that Jesus, who has all authority and all power, doesn't say, so therefore, give to me. He says, no, with all authority and all power, I give to you. That's amazing, right? So see, these three qualities that Peter lists out, willingness, an example, an eagerness, those are all because Jesus is the chief shepherd and pastors are to represent, to mirror, to show this is what Jesus is like. He's one that's willing to love you and care for you. He's one that is not in it to gain, but to give. And he's one that's not in it to be served, but to serve. So Peter lists this stuff out. Why is it so serious? Why, why, does he, why does he make sure to point this out and in other parts of the Bible? Why is it so serious? Why is it so serious, the people that God puts in place to care for his church? It's because God loves them. Because God loves his sheep. Peter says something that's a little weird, um, but is amazing. He says that pastors that do this will receive a crown of glory. So I don't wear hats, um, so that's not necessarily like super exciting to me. And I don't (laughs) want to walk around in heaven forever wearing a tiara or whatever kind of crown this is. I I don't think it's necessarily literally a crown, but it means something. It means that God rewards in some way this service to his sheep. Now here's why that's really good news. Because God, all of us, reward what we value, right? If you're in business and um, you, you get a bonus, what's the bonus from? It's from if you have done exceedingly well at a particular part of your job. Because your employer values that aspect. This is what God is saying here. He loves his sheep so much that he rewards them being well taken care of. I mean, think about it just at a most basic level. If you get good service at a restaurant, you want to give a good Why? 
because good service is important to you. So if you, whatever we value, we reward to that degree. And what Peter's saying here is God values his sheep so much that he rewards them being well taken care of. So in heaven, when you see pastors wearing a crown, what, I mean, I don't know what it's really going to be like, okay, but when, to use just the image he uses here, that doesn't say that's how awesome that pastor is. It says that's how much Jesus loves those sheep, that he's willing to reward them being taken care of. That's really what I want you to see throughout this whole text is it's, it's an exhortation to pastors of how they're supposed to care for the sheep. But the whole thing is Jesus is the chief shepherd that really loves and cares for his sheep. So he puts people in place with, to do a certain job with the right kind of qualities because he loves his sheep. So what's the, what's the response to this? Peter presents, here's, here's God's means of care Pastors, shepherds that do a certain kind of work with certain kind of characteristics. What's the response to this supposed to be? And and here's what Peter says. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The response to God's care in our lives through pastors is to be subject, to submit. And when he says to the younger, this is not talking about numeric age, but rather a positional age meaning the, the place within the church, or some people think it is talking about a numeric age because he's telling all people this, but specifically young people because they're the ones that are going to have the most problem with it. I mean, you read throughout the Bible and it says that, that the church is supposed to submit to the leaders. And here, maybe he's saying specifically you young folks because those are the ones that are going to have the most problem. But what he says is this, that they are to submit to the pastors. Now, Here's the truth. This is one of, I would say, probably the most dismissed or ignored instructions in the whole Bible. Um, and and I'm, I mainly mean ignored. I mean, it's something we probably don't even think about a lot of times. I know this was true of me before I became a pastor. Um, that is something that is not even really thought about. I mean, we think about, I mean, th- think about this. You read through the, th- this section of 1 Peter, and you read that pastors are not to be in it for shameful gain, domineering or under compulsion and we probably all go yeah definitely that's what a pastor should be like then you come to this part do you go oh yeah definitely definitely we should submit to the elders probably not right i mean it's one of the things that we read that can easily just be for a thousand different reasons a thousand different excuses just kind of ah i don't know about that and what it doesn't mean is that a pastor is supposed to command every whim his own, to command for his every whim or to command every area of the church's life. That's, that's not what it means, but it does mean that one of the ways that we submit to God is by submitting to the leaders he puts in our lives. That's just, that's what it means. And I know that because of our independence, because of our feelings of distrust, that many people think, I don't need that, Sometimes there's a, just a, I don't need that. That's great. Other people need that, definitely. But I don't need that. Or there can be an, I don't want that. Just don't want that in my life. Or there can be a mentality that even says, again, with spiritual language, Jesus is my shepherd, which is true. 
but it doesn't undercut the fact that he puts other shepherds in place. So Jesus is my shepherd. I prayed to him. I talked to him about it. So I know it's right, but not using the means that God provides. And the truth is this. I, this is weird to preach, right? I mean, it's weird to stand up here and say, hey, here's what pastors are supposed to do, and I'm, I'm one, okay? I'm, I'm here. It's weird to preach this. I wish I would have had somebody else stand up here and preach this and just say, amen, <laughs> you know, Jesus preferably. Um, so it's, it's a weird thing to preach. And when I was first thinking about this, I was not feeling very good about preaching this. But as I prayed and thought and prepared more for this, I, it, this is, though I know it can be received as, Ugh, I think this is really good news. Because again, it just shows how much God loves and cares for the church. It's not, God, God doesn't, Peter doesn't give this to us as bad news. He gives it as good news. To say you're God's flock and he cares so much about you that he gives you a shepherd. He cares so much about you that he doesn't even just say, hey, read your Bible and pray. But he says, I'm going to give you a physical presence. I'm the chief shepherd, but you physically don't have me. But I give you a physical presence of someone that is supposed to represent and image my characteristics and qualities in your life. I mean, it's, it's really good news. And I know some of you won't take it that way. I know, and that's, that's fine. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. But, but, I, but for those of you that hear this and go, man, that actually sounds good. I don't have to be alone. That God actually puts people in my life to, to care for me, to bless me, to lead me, to help me, that God cares about me that much, I think it's really good news. Um, and one thing I need to point out is Peter says that pastors are supposed to do this for those in your charge. He says, do this for those in your charge. Here's what this means. I'm a pastor, but that doesn't mean that I can walk around the streets of Denver and say, are you a Christian? And if someone says yes, then I go, oh, well, I'm your pastor. And it doesn't mean that you, as a Christian, happen to run into someone in a coffee shop, and they say, did you know I'm a pastor? I would like you to now submit to me. That means, no, it's not that. It's to those in your charge. This is one of the reasons that we value here as a church, church membership. And this is one of the verses that really implies church membership, that it's not just pastors and sheep, but it's particular flocks with particular pastors, particular shepherds, particular sheep that are in their charge. Here's how Pastor Sam Storms says this. He says, those in your charge about this text implies that the elders knew whom they were responsible for. This is just another way of talking about membership. If a person does not want to be held accountable by a group of elders, or be the special focus of the care of a group of elders, they will resist the idea of membership, and they will resist God's appointed way for them to live and be sustained in their faith. Church membership is also implied in the biblical requirement of Christians to be submitted to a group of church leaders, elders, or pastors. The point here is that without membership, who is it that the New Testament is referring to who must submit to a specific group of leaders? Some kind of expressed willingness or covenant or agreement or commitment, that is membership, has to precede a person's submission to a group of leaders. Because it can't just be, you don't just say anybody, 
all Christians aren't just submitting to all pastors, and all pastors aren't supposed to take care of all sheep. One other thing I wanted to show you is this. This is in Hebrews, and it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, a similar language that you see in Peter, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And here's, here's why I wanted to show this to you. This is really important, because here's what it says. All, all of us, meaning sheep and pastors, give up their independence. Sheep and pastors both give up their independence. See, as a pastor, it would be nice in some way if I were to just say, my job is to preach the Bible, period. That's it. That's all I do. I'm not accountable to anyone, not responsible to anybody. I just get to stand up and preach the Bible. Like it, don't like it, live your life, don't live your life, however you want, doesn't matter. I just preach the Bible, the end. But what Peter says is that the pastors are to watch over souls and they will give an account to God. So I have a commitment to those in my charge as a pastor, to them. And I have to actually give an account to God of how I pastor. It means my independence is gone. It's like getting married. It's not just that, oh, I just kind of get to do what I want. It's no, I am now covenanted to this person and held accountable to God for how I interact and treat that person. And yet also it's the sheep that give up their independence. That they don't just live their life and do their thing and it's just me and Jesus and kind of me and my friends, but that they, they are to submit to their leaders, that everybody gives up their independence to submit to God. Okay, finally, what gets in the way of all this? What gets in the way of God's care for our life? And, and here's what Peter says. He says it's pride. He says what will keep us from all of this is pride, both for pastors and for sheep. It's pride. The thing that will either keep somebody from entering into this type of arrangement to begin with or will ruin it once it's there is pride. And that's true for pastors because pastors out of pride might not shepherd the sheep. See, a pastor that is proud might want everyone to like them and not want to step on anyone's toes, want, want to look good. And so not actually shepherd the sheep, not actually provide oversight, not actually care for souls, or a pastor that's proud does all the things that Peter listed out. I want to be served. I want to get. I want to use my power and authority to be served, not to serve. Pride. And pride for sheep can mean that they don't, they don't feel like they need a shepherd. They don't seek out a shepherd. They try to be the shepherd. All those different ways, pride ruins it. And here's what Peter says, God is opposed to the proud. That's to me one of the most scary verses in the Bible, that God is opposed to the proud. And in context, what I think this specifically means, although the Bible uses this phrase elsewhere, in fact, Peter's quoting it, here, what I think this means, in particular, how that plays itself out, 
is that opposition is experienced by not experiencing the blessing that God intends to provide. That's why he says God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What's that grace? Well, that grace is the experience of being shepherded and cared for, or as a pastor, receiving a crown and the joy, the grace, the gift of being a shepherd. So what he says is that pride will ruin this whole thing. Pride will ruin the whole thing because you won't experience the grace that God intends for your life. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of exile, in the middle of desiring to grow spiritually, in the middle of all the different parts of our life, God wants to give grace. He wants to care for you. He wants to love you. But if we're proud, we don't experience that. If a a pastor, if an elder is proud, they don't get the blessing of being a part of that. If a sheep is proud, they don't get the blessing, the grace of, of receiving that. All this is here because God loves his sheep. God cares for his sheep. This is God's plan to care for his sheep. And we'll close with this. I want to show you Jesus. Here's what Jesus says about himself being the shepherd. This is in John. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I want you to see even some of the things we talked about here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, that's a giving. That's a willingness. He who is a hired hand, so this is someone that's just kind of in it for gain. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's just a hired hand. And he cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You see this language of willingness. Of giving. Of not under compulsion. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must, no compulsion, this is a willingness, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. That's the resurrection. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the true, perfect, chief shepherd. And this is his heart for us as a church. This is the one that we put our trust in. This is the one that we look to. And this is the one that cares for the church so deeply that he puts other shepherds in place. 